Father, we're grateful, uh, so grateful, Lord, for your presence this morning. We're grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful for this time that we've already had to, to worship you, God, to, to just to claim that all of our needs uh, can be met in Jesus Christ, that, that we trust in you, God, that we're waiting here for you. And Lord, so we just, uh, we, we, we agree with all that this morning, Lord, as we approach your word this morning, God, we ask that you uh, would be the one who teaches, that you would be the one who speaks and moves, um, and God, that you would just move mightily in this place to your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know, uh, I recently returned uh, from a trip to Africa. Uh, I went to a country there called Sierra Leone uh, to visit a village called Paleywild that we are partnering up with as a church, with two other churches in Terre Haute, um, to kind of help uh, release this village uh, from poverty in the name of Jesus and get them to a more sort of a self-sustainable place. Um, but the travel there was interesting because no one has ever taught the major airlines that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Um, they send you all over the world to get to where you're going. And so um, that week I, I spent some ridiculous number, like almost 40 hours on a plane. Way too much time on a plane, right? And the first, the first flight was from Indianapolis to Paris, and it was an overnight flight. Uh, and if you've ever done an overnight flight to something like seven time zones away, it's going to throw off your body clock real quick. Because uh, I remember we, we departed about six o'clock our time, uh, took off, and I was exhausted. It had been a really full day, and I was excited to sleep, and I forgot no one has ever been able to sleep on an airplane, right? I, I actually went ahead. It's like, I, didn't, I don't care how I look. I'm going to take one of those stupid neck pillows. Um, and Corinne had one that somebody gave her, and this thing was a, was a disaster. I should have just thrown it away because it was so big in the back that all it did was just shove your head down there. And I was like, that's what you do without a neck pillow, right? In addition, it had inside like a vibrator. If you turn it on, it could like help you to sleep, but it didn't work, and so all it did was look like a bomb every time I went through security. And so I kept getting pulled aside and explained, no, no, it's not going to blow anything up. It's just this dumb neck pillow that doesn't work, right? So I'm wrestling in my seat, I'm finally, and finally I look at my watch, and it says midnight, uh, so that'd be midnight Indiana time, I'm like, I haven't slept at all, no matter what, I've got to get comfortable here, and so I put my leg up, and I you know, lay my head down, and I close my eyes, I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm not kidding you, the second I close my eyes, the flight attendant comes by and says, sir, what would you like for breakfast? And I'm thinking, breakfast? What are you talking about, you know? But I have this kind of a hard, fast rule I live by in life. Even when I'm not hungry, I will never pass up a meal that I already paid for. Um, so I ordered, you know, put the tray down, I ate it. Um, and then I thought, all right, you know, that, that attempt to sleep failed. So I'm going to slide my window open and I'm going to take a look at the moon stars, you know, because you're flying pretty high. And what did I see in the window? It's the sun, full brightness, right? And I started doing math. I'm like, oh, it's after 7 a.m. over here, you know. And they announced at this point, right after finished breakfast, we're going to start our descent into Paris. Okay, well, no sleep on this flight. At least what I'll do is I'll be a touristy guy, look out the window and try to spot the Eiffel Tower. Never spotted it. I heard a whole bunch of commotion on the other side of the plane. Apparently they saw it, right? <laughs> it, it comes with the territory. But what I did see, because it was a really clear day in, in, in France, no, not a cloud in the sky, and the pilot took, and I'm, I appreciate this, took a really slow, gradual descent. And so for the last 20 minutes of the flight, I could see everything on the ground. And what I was struck by was we weren't flying over the Midwest, right, where you see a lot of fields. There was just houses after houses after houses, just, just packed. It looked like giant city the whole way in. I don't know how many miles you cover in 20 minutes of flying, but it's a lot. And it was just 
residential after residential to residential, jammed city streets, cars everywhere, activity everywhere. And, and, and I realized I'm flying over a city that I've never, ever been to and probably will never go to, right? And I've passed hundreds of thousands of people who have no idea that I just passed them in the sky. They don't care. And it, and it, and it dawned on me, this world is just so big. Right? It's just so big, right? The, the, the number of people who have no clue that I exist far outseeds, exceeds the number of people who know I exist. And there were two convictions that hit me, even in my sleep-deprived state, because my heart just ached looking at that city below and knowing sort of the spiritual state of Europe. And I just began praying, God, would you, would you raise up messengers in this city? Like, would you send your witnesses here? Would, would the gospel of Jesus just take over these people that, that are just going about their days and they're not even considering you? And the second conviction was I began to feel really guilty for every single time I believed the lie that life was about me. We do this, don't we? We lose track of, of how big our world is. We lose track of everything that God reigns over, all that he's up to. And, and so we start to think, it's, wait a minute, it's my business, right? It's my health issues. It's my demands. It's my bank account. It's my stuff that it's all about. That God needs to answer my prayers. I need to fix my problems. I need to take care of my own. And we don't even stop to consider how big of a planet we're on. Now, I don't even know, I don't know if there's been another generation that's ever existed more criticized by its predecessors than, than the millennial generation, okay? And, and as someone who just barely snuck in at the start of it, I can say, honestly, we deserve most of it. But here's why I'm actually quite optimistic about the millennial generation, because studies have shown there are two things that millennials value. The first is authenticity, and the second is they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and man, Jesus offers both of those things. Right? There's, a, there's a very consistent message in Christianity. You're going to hear it here. You'll hear it before this sermon is over, right? And the message is that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Okay, Jesus Christ died for your individual sins. And, and, and the reason is you have a need for a personal relationship with him. And all of that, all that I just said is absolutely true. Right? But in no way, I want you to get this this morning, in no way does that, uh, is that the totality of what Jesus accomplished. You know how he put it? He said, I have come to establish the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is so much bigger. It's so much grander. It's so much more expansive than you. Right? That kingdom's mission has an aim that's much higher than you. That God's kingdom is a global, universal, eternal kingdom. And God doesn't just want you to be a part of it. He doesn't desire that you, you are a part of its mission. He demands this of us. And so the only thing that's left is whether or not we obey so let me ask you someone, have you ever wanted to believe? Let me rephrase that. Have you ever wanted to know that your life truly mattered? Have you ever really, can you say this morning, that you've ever really sacrificed for anything? And if so, did you do so begrudgingly or did you do so joyously because you believed so deeply in something that you know whatever cost your pain is worth it? Do you, do you desire to know that your one life is making a difference that's much bigger than your little circle? Every one of you in here this morning is living for something or else you wouldn't have got out of bed. And so the question I want to lay before you is what you're living for this morning worth sacrificing for? Is what you're living for today worth giving up comforts for? Is it worth being stretched for? Hear me, is it worth dying for? Because those things aren't just available to you in Jesus. 
It's not only possible in Jesus, he demands that of us. We're wrapping up this focus, the gospel through you, and, and, and man, Pastor Adam has done a tremendous job of getting us to this point. Right? He, he started off three weeks ago by talking about this, this conviction that compels us. It's a real simple but powerful thought where he just laid out for us, heaven and hell are very real places. And everyone that you know is going to one of the two. Right? And Jesus alone can save them. And the question that he laid before us is, do you actually believe this, church? Do you believe that? Because if so, that reality alone should move us to act. Right? And then he talked about just this idea of living with gospel intentionality, which is that, that, that the idea of being a witness for Jesus is, is to, every, in everyday life, bring Jesus into everyday life. Right? And, and the phrase that he uses, and, and Adam and I always borrow all our best stuff, it's from Tony Merritt, it's the great stuff, that ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And we've hung this entire focus off the verses that Josh read for you today, and it's more specifically off verse 8. So look at Acts 1 verse 8. And Jesus says this, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, what I want us to do is I want you and I to grasp, and maybe for some of you for the first time, just how expansive and big that call is. And I pray that the Lord accomplishes three things today. Number one, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we want you to see he's worth knowing and believe in him today. Number two, those of you who have right, good, biblical convictions on this already, I, I want the Lord to deepen them. But thirdly, the group I'm most praying for today are those who are missing out on a big call of what God has for your life because you just don't know how big it is. What I'm praying is that today would be a changing moment in your life, that you begin to see things in a different light and make real, real tangible changes about the things that you're pursuing and giving your time to. And I know those are lofty goals, but we serve a really big God. And so the format today is incredibly simple. Okay, there's two things I want you to know, and there's two things I want you to do. And the first thing I want you to know we've already, we've already brushed on is this. Life is not about you. Now, I know that can sound harsh, and, 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 and it sounds harsh even coming out of my mouth, but listen, it's actually really freeing. Because there's this seeming dichotomy that exists but really, it isn't in contrast when you understand it fully. And this is what I'm talking about. This is the dichotomy that, that really works together in the eyes of God. It's just that you matter deeply. And life isn't about you. And God did these two really amazing things to drive those two, two truths home for us. And the first is this, that Jesus Christ made it all about you on the cross in order that you would never have to do that again. You see, you matter deeply to God. Right? You, you, you were created in his image. He formed you in his mother's womb. Nobody loves you more than God, but the sin that exists in your life separates you from him. And it's a permanent separation within our own power. And this, this sin causes untold pain and suffering, and it's the sin is the reason that you will die, and if your sin is not atoned for, it's the reason you're going to spend an eternity in hell. And so regardless of what your life circumstances are, I can state beyond a, matter, beyond a shadow of a doubt that your single greatest need this morning is to have your sins forgiven and be made right with God. And God is so concerned for you, he loves you so deeply that he gave of himself to meet that need. When he took your place on the cross and he suffered and died to cover your greatest need and the, a big part of the reason why he did that is so that you wouldn't have to waste a single time or single day or any effort doing what he's already done. All you have to do is believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And listen to me, your greatest need as a human being is met. 
And what that does, having your greatest need met, is it frees you up to live for something other than yourself. Because your greatest need's already covered. The second thing that God did to drive us home is he, sends, he then sends his followers out on a great mission. Right? Jesus stepped into your place. He took your price. He died for your sins. He defeated death for you. All to turn and tell you, guess what? Your life isn't about you now. Your life is about others now. And ultimately, your life is about God. And so the reason that we exist is to bring God glory. And we bring God glory every single time that we love and serve others. We bring God glory any way that we don't live for ourselves. And we bring him glory most when we extend his praise. There's a scene in, in Revelation 7 that I want to put on the screens for you. Uh, this is John describing for us what, what it's going to be like at the end of time. And this is what Revelation 7 says. It says, after this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you catch the picture that we're being painted there? We're being told that at the fullness of time, the gathered around God's throne will be people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and every race. And what they're going to be doing is worshiping God, all to the glory of God. Now you get that's what the Great Commission is about, right? When Jesus says, be my witnesses, when he says, go into all the world and make disciples, what we're being doing is we're being called to ensure that the worship of God is coming from every single corner of the globe. Because worshiping and glorifying God is our purpose for living. It's why we exist, and there's nothing that fulfills our souls more than that. So why would we ever want to hog it? Why would we not want that to spread as far and as wide as possible? There's a narrative out there about the Christian life that falls so far short of what God has actually called us to. Okay, and this is it, and I want you to know, this is not what you've been called to. You've been not called, this, this is not the calling of your life for you to get saved to rid yourself of a few bad habits, to immerse yourself in Christian culture, to be a nice and decent person and live comfortably until you die. That's not what the Lord asks of you. In fact, it falls so far short of what Jesus demands of us that, I, that I'm guessing it's only American Christians who believe that's a life to aim for. The call in your life is also not to make all the focus of your relationship with God be on you. Because if you're not careful and you listen to really good messages, you can begin to believe that God only wants to bring you freedom, that he only wants to help you conquer your fears. He only wants to give you peace. He only wants you to live in victory, and he wants to answer your prayers. Listen, he absolutely wants to do those things in your life, but he sets the bar so much higher than that. What he wants is for us to live for something greater than us. He calls us to live in such a way that his glory and the betterment of others is the central aim of our walk with him. The guest house uh, that we stayed at there in Sierra Leone was run by a missionary couple named Jeff and Carrie Jo Kane. They are white Americans from Minnesota. They're a long way from Minnesota, all right? And one day we were traveling around, they had the driver pull over at this little village, (coughs) excuse me, and... I was like, what are we doing here? This isn't our village. We, I wasn't told we were stopping another village. And she's like, well, just go ahead and get on out. So we got out of the car, and Carrie Jo wanted us to see a cemetery that was there. And as we're walking up to it, she explains to me that this cemetery is where the first missionaries to ever travel to Sierra Leone are buried. That this is the people, the group of people who came in a time in history when travel was incredibly difficult. In fact, when they left their families, there was no going back. 
You weren't going to get to hop on a plane and go home for furlough, right? And they came to that country as the first carriers of the good news of Jesus to the nation of Sierra Leone. And I'm not going to lie to you this morning. Almost all their stories end horribly. Their travel was incredibly hard. Medical care was not available. And when you looked at the headstones, you read their stories. There were more than three that only made it like 20 days. They left everything and they survived 20 days. Now, the reality is today, the church of Jesus in Sierra Leone not only exists, but is growing more vibrant by the day in an area that's been traditionally and predominantly Muslim throughout its history. And it's all because of the start of that group. And then when we got back in the car, Terry Joe told us something that she, according to her coworker, had never told anyone. She told us her dad was buried in that cemetery. And I thought, man, how fitting is that, right? That now she's here. She's now returned to the nation that he poured his life out for, and she's carrying on the seeds of the gospel that he originally was planting. See, God is always working on, th- on bigger things than us. He's always working on bigger things than our problems. He's always working on bigger things than our retirement or our goals, always. And in his grace, he invites us to join in. He made it all about us in the cross so that we would never have to again. The second thing I want you to know this morning is that taking the gospel to the nations is not an option. <coughs> Matthew 28, we're going to throw this on the screens. This is Jesus speaking. <coughs> Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you have your Bibles in Acts 1, look at verse 7. Again, Jesus, he says, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in Matthew 28, Jesus makes two statements, and they're pretty big. And the first is this. He says, All authority... And heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now what you're supposed to do in light of that is you go. Right? He says, guys, just so we're clear, there's no greater authority than me. Right? And now here's what your life is to be about. You're to go make disciples of all nations. And I love the breakdown in Acts 1 uh, because it's really interesting. He gives them four distinct places that they're to be his witnesses. Did you, did you catch them? I did that because some of you were falling asleep. All right? Four distinct places. The first is Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem was? It was their hometown. It's where they lived. It's where they knew, right? It's, 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 it's everything that was comfortable to them. He said, that's where you're supposed to be my witnesses. And after that, then you're to be my witnesses in all Judea. That was all the places surrounding their hometown. Okay, Judea would have been filled with, filled with people who were just like them, people who had a similar culture, a similar race, similar ideology and background. <laughs> and then he says, from there, this is where it gets real interesting. You need to go be my witnesses in Samaria. You know what that was? That means people who are not like you at all. This is people who had a different culture, people who had a different race, who had different backgrounds, different beliefs. In fact, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And Jesus is telling his followers, that's not allowed anymore. You go and show love to them in my name and be my witnesses. And then to end it all in a real self-explanatory statement, he says, then you go to the ends of the earth. You're going to take the good news of me everywhere. Let me ask you, do you, do you get that? I know most of you probably memorized that verse in Sunday school. You've heard it before. 
Do you get that you're being called to that? You understand what you're being called to as a follower, how, how all-encompassing this mission is? And if so, how many of you could honestly say this morning that you're actively having a part in witnessing in all four of those areas? That you are taking the hope of Jesus to where you live and where you work and where you play. That, that you have a part in taking the hope of Jesus to other towns and cities in America or, or maybe the college campuses here. Or that, that you are sharing the hope of Jesus with people who don't look like you, who don't believe like you. In fact, there'd be reason for division if it were not for Jesus. And that you are taking part in sharing the light of Jesus to the ends of the earth. How many of you can say, I've got all four? And before you tell me, wait a minute, that's just too much. That's too impossible, it's too hard. I want you to notice a really important word in verse 8. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then what's the next word? And all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say or. He said and. And listen to me. Jesus always knows exactly what he's saying. There are a few years back, you probably remember this, that the Ebola virus just decimated parts of West Africa. And in response to that, our government, our CDC, and several American doctors, even American Christian missionary doctors, went over there to help. And a couple of them got sick. They contracted Ebola. And they were flown back. Two of them were flown back to hospitals here in the States to be treated to try and save their lives. And I remember following that story and just being stunned when I heard conservative talking heads criticizing these doctors and saying they shouldn't be brought home for treatment. And you know what the basis for their argument was? They should have never went. Because there are plenty of sick people here in America who need help. They should have just stayed here and helped. One of the guys who went with us on this last trip from another church told me, he, luckily he wasn't asked this by somebody in his church, just a friend of his. He was being asked why our three churches were partnering up to help Paleywala and Sierra Leone. And the question was basically this, isn't there need in Terre Haute that you should be working on? Well, listen, man, first, we've got to understand the dangers of nationalism. To think that one nation... To think that one people is more important than another, to think that God would care more deeply about someone because they're from our country is an evil, demonic philosophy that flies in the face of every single thing that Jesus stands for. Nationalism does not represent the heart of our God. You have to be clear on that. Now that aside, let's, let's ask the question. Okay? Why should we go over there? When there's plenty of need here, all you have to do is walk outside this building and just look around. You're gonna see all kinds of need. Let's put it this way. Let's say we brought Jesus up on the stage and we asked him, all right, Jesus, which needs should we as a church meet? Which, which people should we love on? The ones that are right here or the ones across the world? You know what he'd say? Yes. We'd be like, no, which ones? He'd be like, yes. Because I've called you to be obedient to this mission, which means that you'd be my faithful witnesses right where you live to those like you, to those unlike you, and to those who live nowhere near you. And it would be wrong of us as a church to ignore global missions. Just as it would be wrong of us to go all the way to Sierra Leone and not have a food pantry and not support the Wabash Valley FCA and not support campus ministries right here in our town. Just as it would be wrong of us not to support our priceless ministries and families who are interested in fostering, just as it would be wrong of us to do those things and not provide a children's ministry to our own. It'd be wrong of you, individual follower of Jesus, to go on trips and support missionaries and never be a witness to your coworkers and neighbors and those you're around. Just as it would be wrong of you to be a faithful witness here but ignore the plights of people around the world. Which of these four areas are we to be his witnesses? Jesus says every single one of them. 
which means this for you individually this morning. If the gospel is to move through you, that has to include reaching the nations. And so before you get overwhelmed, okay, here, here's the two things I want you to do. Okay. Number one is this. We've got to carry on the mission that's been passed down to us. I know what you're thinking. This, this seems impossible. It's too much. It's, it's too big. And man, often I'm right there with you. But there are a couple of promises we can't miss. Did you, did you hear what Jesus told his followers in Matthew 28 after giving this mission? He said, I'm going to be with you all the way. Acts 1, verse 8 starts with the promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, part of God's ingenious plan was to give us a mission that was impossible for us to succeed at in our own power. So by giving us that mission, that's going to force us to rely on him. It's going to force us to follow his lead and be prayerful and just plead for him to work because he has to. And guess what? He's done just that. For example, do you know why you're here this morning? I mean, let's, let's just think of it for a second. Jesus stood on a hillside outside Jerusalem, a place most of us have never even been 2,000 years ago. Said to a dozen guys, maybe a few more, this is what your life's about now. You'd be my witnesses in these four places. And here we are, 2,000 years later, gathered together an ocean away, singing songs to that same Jesus, finding our life's purpose in the name of that same Jesus, baptizing people in the name of that same Jesus. And the reason is, this wasn't their mission, this is God's mission. And when you join God in what he's doing, you cannot fail. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simply unstoppable. So when we share his story, he's there with us. When we meet needs in his name, he goes to work on the hearts of the people that we're loving on. When we go, he's already been there before us. And we are here today because those disciples and every generation after them has fulfilled their obedience to this mission. Listen to me. We cannot afford to be the generation that punts on this. We cannot be a church that passes on this. Our God will simply just refuse to use us. We are here today because so many before us understood this valuable truth that once you have Jesus, others have to matter to you. And so they translated. They printed Bibles. They planted churches. They, they wrote sermons. They witnessed where they were. And then they moved away from home and his leading. And they left material possessions behind. And they gave of their finances. And they shared the gospel. And they trained the next generation of church servants. And they prayed and they loved and they shared. We cannot be the ones with whom this mission stops. We cannot become so consumed by our own lives. And hear me, even by our own individuals' walks with Christ that we punt on this mission. Can you imagine how devastating and heartbreaking the results would be if a single generation decided they're going to make their relationship with Jesus all about them? Never, the church would never recover. Secondly, every one of us individually must take part in global outreach. I can remember there was a class in college that on that day ticked me off. Okay. The reason, the whole reason I was at that school was a result of, of two years of me wrestling with God. Where I, I began to feel this, this call into pastoral ministry. And that was not an easy thing to say yes to. And so after these two years of praying and wrestling and seeking advice and counsel, I finally said yes and, and I enrolled at this school to become a pastor, right? And, and then in one of my first classes, they invite, there's a visiting missionary there, and they invite him to speak, and this is what he said. He said, stop with this nonsense that I've been called to missions and you haven't, 
every single Christian is called to be a missionary. And I got angry. I want to raise my hand and say, hey, buddy, you might want to check with the Holy Spirit on that one because I'm pretty sure I'm on the right path here. But you know what? Over time, I got what he was saying. And then I felt embarrassed that I was even irked by it. This is not a calling for select, albeit celebrated, few. In fact, not a single generation of Christians has believed that. Now, this does not mean that everyone in this room is going to be asked by God to move to another country. So breathe. We'll get to that in a minute. What it means is this, that we all have to fulfill our duties as missionaries right where God has placed us. This means we have to have a missions mindset in everything that we do. We cannot send all of God's people to a foreign field because we need many of you on the field right here. We need coaches who view their job not through competition but through an eternal prism. We need teachers who look for ways to be the light of Jesus to their students. We need lawyers and doctors and factory workers and engineers and salespeople who see their career as means to interact with people who need Jesus Christ. We need stay-at-home parents to take seriously their calling to raise the next generation of disciples. This goes back to ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. We need all of you to do this. And then even on top of that, we, yes, we must still all have an active role in taking the gospel worldwide. And there are four ways I want to lay out for you this morning, of ways that you can get in the game on this. And I'm going to tell you now, every single one of us needs to be doing at least one of these. And I would argue that we all need to be doing multiple ones. And the first way to get involved in taking the gospel worldwide is to simply pray. James 5 tells us this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Church, we really need to elevate our view of prayer. It, it can't be our last resort. It needs to be our first move. Right? I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, we're going to learn that every major move of the Lord was wrought forth by his followers praying. So let me ask you this. Do you, in your life now, do you ever actively seek the Lord on behalf of people living in foreign nations? There are missionaries that, that we know and missionaries that we don't who, who are all over the world on the front lines and they're taking the gospel to places it's never been and they're facing spiritual warfare and oppression and some persecution. It's why, listen to me, have you, track this for me. The next missionary comes. It's why every single time a missionary visits this church, when we ask them what they need, what do they always answer first? Your prayers. Do you know we've never had a missionary come here and visit us who stands at 100% of support raised? Every one of them need more money. And yet every single time we've asked, what do you need most? They say our prayers. Because they understand the stakes. Right. And so if you've got a bulletin this morning, there's an insert in your bulletin that lists for you every single missionary that First Baptist North supports. If you didn't get one, don't worry. You can go to firstbaptistnorth.com under the About Us section. You'll be directed to a missions page that will not only list for you those missionaries, but if you click on them, you'll be taken to a page where you can read their latest newsletter, their latest update, all the things they're trying to do in their field. And what I'm asking you guys to do is to take that list and use it as a prayer guide. That you begin actively praying for these people who are going all over the world and all over our area. We have some local missionaries as well. In the name of Jesus Christ. And then pray that God would raise up more who are willing to go. We can get in this game by praying. Secondly, we can do it by sending. Man, First Baptist North needs to be a sending church. We've been commanded to be so. And as I say that, here's what I know. I know there's great cost in that. And the reason I know that is because last year, we sent Andy and J.C. Johnson and their girls to Germany to serve at Black Forest Academy. 
And through that process, I'm going to tell you, there, there were real costs. There was financial costs. It's the highest support we've ever, as a church, given to a missionary. And I know that many families in this room are dipping in their own wallets, their own pockets to support them as well. It was a high financial cost to send them. It was an emotional cost. Right? They made real connections here. I, this happened in my home. Our, our second daughter, Gemma, when she heard that Lucy, her friend Lucy was going to move to Germany, she went into her room and cried for over an hour. Because there's, there's real connections that are made and severed when people go. There, there, is, there is ministry cost. Right? JC was a great ladies' Bible study teacher. They were small group leaders. We took all those gifts and we sent them elsewhere. And why did we do it? Because we take the Great Commission seriously. Because as a church, we need to mean business when it comes to this. And by the way, we can't do this once and rest there. We can't pat ourselves on the back and be like, yeah, we're a sending church now. I can tell you, Honestly, that we've talked about as a staff in meetings, identifying potential goers, people that we see, maybe God's starting to work their heart and prepare them for this work to go overseas. As a church, we need to develop and invest in those people for whom God is placing this call, and then we have to send them. Pray, we send, and thirdly, we can give. FBN supports 29 missionaries right now, both local and global. I'm pleased beyond pleased to know that several of you have personally taken on missionaries with financial support. Because if you're not called by God to pick up and move a really tangible way for you to be a part of reaching the nations, it's supporting those uh, who do through regular giving to missionaries. And and man, this is needed. Last week, um, we had Chad Wilkin up on the stage preaching to you. And, And by the way, wasn't it great just to hear that family's heart for college kids? to hear just, just how devoted they are to, to, to raising disciples among college students. Did you know as he stood on the stage, they're acting out in faith because they're currently at less than 50% of the support level they need? What they need is they need people to catch the vision for what they're doing, for what God has called them to do, and say, I want to be a part of that. And since I can't be on the campus with you here, I'm going to help you in this way. We can take part in this by giving to regular partners like oh, Operation Christmas Child or a great newer way that we have food is sponsoring children from our village in Paleywala. Right? But this is a mission. We've got to get some skin in the game. And you can do so by praying. You can do so by sinning. You can do so by giving. And the last one's obvious. You can do so by going. It's a line I've used a lot around here. But if you're a member at First Baptist North, we want you to get a passport. Right? Because we're going to have, every year, we're going to have opportunities for you to go on short-term mission trips, and, and the entire experience from start to end is for your good. We could have so many people come on this stage and, and talk to you about how their life was changed by having to trust God from saying yes to going on a trip by having no clue how he was going to provide for it. And then when they had to leave, they had to trust him with, with those who they were leaving back home. And, and then when you go, you have to trust him uh, with, with taking you to a new place and a new culture, to a different context and language you speak, and then do whatever he wants to do through you there. You see, getting out of your normal environment always broadens your horizons. It always increases your heart for missions. It always lets you see the gospel active in other cultures and countries. And you begin to learn that what we have in common is so much greater than our differences. And you learn that Jesus was right when he said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. The other option is to go full time. And while it's true that God does not call everyone to this. It's also true that every follower of his needs to be willing to go if he does. That we all need to seek his will and ask him if this is what he has in store for us. 
And we need to pay really close attention when we feel God laying certain people or certain cities or certain cultures on our hearts heavenly. Because that very may well be God equipping you and preparing you. He, he might be equipping multiple people in this room, preparing you specifically for an overseas mission, ministry. Because every follower of Christ needs to be asking, God, are you sending me? And we're not so different, us humans, right? The entire world is longing for basically the same things. We're all looking for purpose. We're all looking for identity. We're all looking for mission. And listen, there is a litany of things that we sacrifice for and we pay for and we pour ourselves into and we end up regretting. But no one who has answered the call to be a witness for Jesus on the global scale has ever regretted it. Why pray? Why send? Why give? Why go? Well, the entire week uh, that, that we got to spend in Africa, the, probably the most talked about subject was water. Because water is one of the single greatest needs of the entire continent. So many people in Africa don't have access to clean water, and this causes major problems. My first full day on the ground, I, I got to meet with a group from World Hope called WASH. This is Water and, and, Safety and Sanitation Health. And their slogan in their office is that water equals life. Right, because safe water reduces the rate of, of all sicknesses, right? Safe water increases school attendance. Safe water promotes hygiene. Without safe water, the mortality rate under five in Sierra Leone is 30%. 30% of children don't make it to the age of five. With safe water, in some cases, that number drops below 1%. I cannot overstate for you the importance of access to clean water. And so the day before we got to go out and visit our village of Pelewa the first time, they took us to a village called Kutiri, which just finished a, 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 church, a church partnership. They just had a five-year partnership they wrapped up. And so they showed us there a well that had been dug 132 feet down. And since it had been dug so deep and so well, this well now provides clean water year-round for this village. And the whole time that we're standing there and talking, you'll see in the video Nick and Paul not helping anyone when they carry the water away, right? But the whole time we're standing there talking, I was filming, I wasn't helping either. The whole time we were standing there, people just kept coming to the well. They just kept coming over and over and over. It was, it was one after another. And what they were bringing is they were bringing their buckets. And they were filling them to the rim. And then they were taking them back home. And on the last day that we were in Peliwale, the last day we were there, they, we went down to check on the progress of the well that they were putting in our village, and they were starting what they called the finishing work. And they said so they dug down to about 40 meters, it's about 130 feet, they'd hit water, and now they were putting in the casing. And I was like, well, what's that? And they said, that's, that's the shape of the, the pipe that the water's going to run up and through when, and out when it's pumped. And I started thinking about, and that, that, there's a thought that I had starting there to all the way this morning that I just cannot shake. Because Jesus says in John 4 that anyone who believes in him will be given living water that will well up into eternal life and they'll never thirst again. And I started thinking about all those buckets, how each bucket was filled to the rim. Each bucket literally represented life. Each bucket was filled with water, to drink, water to cook with, water to clean with. And then each bucket was taken back to their home. And it was a complete blessing to that home. And then I thought about the pipe. See, the pipe didn't hoard the water. The pipe didn't collect 
the water. The pipe didn't store the water. You know what the pipe did? The pipe received water and then allowed it to pass through. And because of that, so many people were blessed. So many buckets were filled. And, and this, I'm going to tell you, this is the thought that I haven't been able to shake. When it comes to the living water that Jesus has provided for me, am I being a pipe or a bucket? Do I take, do I take all the things that God gives me? I say, thank you, God, for answers to prayer. Thank you for, for forgiving my sins. Thank you for freedom over certain sins I had. Thank you for a healthy family. Thank you for a nice home. Thank you for a church family that I love. Thank you for all the many blessings that you've poured out in my life. God, my bucket is just full because of you. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this and I'm going to take it home. And I'm going to love on my family and I'm going to have a really good, safe, easy life. Or am I a pipe where I take everything the Lord gives me? God, thank you for this platform. Thank you for these resources. Thank you for the forgiveness and salvation I have. Thank you for all the ways you answered prayer. Thank you for all the things you've done for me. And it's going to flow out of me and bless so many other people. Right? Here's the thing. The bucket life is a good life. I'm not going to act like it isn't. Right? Because your bucket's full. You've received everything that you need from the Lord. You can live a nice, comfortable life for the rest of your days. And then you, by his grace, you get to go to heaven. There's, it's a nice life, but it's also incredibly boring and incredibly selfish. You realize how big of a waste it would be, college students, for the only thing that you get from your college experience would be a degree? Do you realize how big a waste your career would be if the only thing you get is money for your retirement? Do you know how much of a waste that the gifts and talents you have would be if the only person they ever blessed was you? Do you know how much of a waste your home would be if it was only meant to bless your family? Do you listen to this? Do you know how much of a waste your salvation would be if the only person who ended up in heaven because it was you? We are not called to be buckets. We're called to be pipes. And that's what Jesus commands of us. And and the only question I want to lay before you this morning is this. Why would you ever want to live any other way than that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for just all the tremendous things you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you for for the many blessings that you've literally poured out over us. We thank you for the living water, God, that you've poured into our souls that's welling up to eternal life. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room this morning who, who simply has not experienced that, God, who, who does not know that, Lord, who, who, who has not found that life and that salvation in Jesus, we pray that right now in their seat they would believe in you for the first time. They trust you for the forgiveness of their sins. They have their greatest need met to enter into this personal, dynamic relationship with you. Well, Lord, for the rest of us, We couldn't even list out all the things that you've poured into us. And so the question that's left is, are we collecting them? Are we hoarding them, God? Are we storing them and enjoying them just for ourselves? Are we allowing them to pass through us and bless so many other people? Lord, make us a church of pipes 
who are willing to sacrifice everything for this mission. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before the final song, we're going to just give you a couple moments to spend between you and the Lord. If you uh, need some time or need some guides for your prayers, there's some stuff on the screen for you to follow along. This is just kind of a moment for you to spend with him and respond to what he's laid on your heart today. Thank you.